Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. I'm calling what I want to say, choose, remain. This has nothing to do with politics. You'll be really relieved to hear. You know, that, that ship has sailed, I think, and rightly or wrongly, that debate's over, and there it is. But we're about choose, remain, and what God's word says to us about choosing, remain. I'd just like to see if Dan could help me for a second. Dan, could you just come and, um, come and give me a hand here? Because I just wanted to ask Dan a few questions. Yeah. Yeah, so this is Dan. Give Dan give Dan a clap, come on. I need to tell you that, that Dan Dan is a carpenter. Dan is actually an excellent carpenter. He uh, indeed. Well Dan Dan did some carpentry on my house and it's still standing and I'm I'm really grateful. We've got a couple of props here and you can do your own jokes about me in two short planks, but um, we've got we've got some wood. Dan, can you tell us what we've got here? This one? Yeah, what's that? This one's a softwood. Okay. Pine. Okay, what do you use that for then? <laughs> a lot of stuff, really. I'd say it's more of a general building material, shelving, okay. stud walls, bricks, Okay, oh, nice. Building okay. houses. Houses? Floors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, pine, pine, and that's different, isn't it? I can tell that's different. <clears throat> Sorry? What's this? This is different. That's oak. Oak, okay. I think oak's a statement timber. Yeah. Uh, exterior, interior. Who doesn't like a nice oak floor? Yeah, oak, oak looks great, doesn't oaks, it? Yeah, oak's yeah. Uh, upper market timber. So. Okay, so what could you build with oak? Well, Phoebe, what did you say earlier? Where have we gone? Um, you had a good one. It could be the house. Oak, it's a dense timber, so structurally it's very, very strong. Okay. The longer it's, well, when it's cut down, it's soft. But the longer it stands up, the harder it gets. Okay. So it's very So it's hard. good for building big things with? I'd say so. What's the biggest thing you've ever built with oak? Probably a big tree house. Yeah? Leicester. Okay. Yeah, that was pretty wow. cool. Nice. Very expensive material okay. to use, though. Excellent. I, I have bought some wood of my own today. Okay. And I just need to see whether there's anything you could build with it for me. Okay. So just, just hang on. Just remember where I put it now. I should have got this out earlier. I've got it. Okay. <laughs> this is it. Uh, Dan, what could, you, uh, what could you build me with this? Because I'm... Well, my question to you, what would you like to build with this? Well, <laughs> could you give me some shelves? Mm, I might not stand anything on it. No? Mm. How about a, about a floor? No, I might break that. How about some pegs to hang pots and pans on? I could try. Because, look, it's nice and strong. Or <laughs> yeah. oh, no, it's not. I oh, know it's not very strong. Mm. Okay, so you're giving this a thumbs down? No, I think it can be built with. Do you? you? Yeah. Okay. Um, Maybe? A den. A den. You came oh, up with a den. You did, you, did, you did say that. You did say yeah. a den. Stick man? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but structurally, it's not great, is it? No. No. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what this is in a minute, but, uh, but thank you very much, Dan. Let's give Dan a clap. <laughs> Does anyone know what this is? A twig. Yeah, 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 you're right. It is a twig. Do you know what kind of twig? Is it a vine? It's, it's a vine, yeah. This is actually a grapevine. Dead. 
Yes. It is a dead grapevine. And the, and the reason we know it's a dead grapevine is because it's not connected to anything at each end. You're, you're great, Dave. You're... <laughs> must, be a, must be a gardener. Yeah, and yeah, the, the Bible has something to say about the usefulness, usefulness of grapevines. So we're going to put the words on the screen to a passage from Ezekiel 15. And it's talking about a grapevine. It says this, Then this message came to me from the Lord, Son of man, how does a grapevine compare to a tree? Is a vine's wood as useful as the wood of a tree? Can its wood be used for making things like pegs to hang up pots and pans? No, it can only be used for fuel, and even as fuel, it burns too quickly. Vines are useless both before and after being put into the fire. And this is what the Sovereign Lord says. The people of Jerusalem are like grapevines growing among the trees of the forest. Since they are useless... I have thrown them on the fire to be burned. And I will see to it that if they escape from one fire, they fall into another. When I turn against them, you will know that I am the Lord, and I will make the land desolate because my people have been unfaithful to me. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. That's quite a solemn passage of scripture, isn't it? And what it's saying is, you know, a, a vine like this, when it's, when it's been cut off and not joined up to anything, there's no life in it at all. Actually, what it's saying is the only thing it's good for is burning, and even then, it's not great at that. You know, it's, life is not good for a dead piece of vine. And in the Old Testament, um, you know, particularly in the book of Ezekiel and the book of Isaiah, you find that God will describe the vine as a way of describing God's people, or the people of Israel, or in that case, the people in Jerusalem. And every time God talks about the vine, he's talking about how useless the vine is, how the vine hasn't grown as it's supposed to be growing. And he um, talks about God's coming judgment. So it's quite a solemn analogy, quite a solemn picture that we read in the Old Testament concerning, concerning the vine. And that's why when we turn, as we're going to today, to John chapter 15... When Jesus talks about the vine, his words are even more surprising and would have been considered really unusual when his listeners heard what he was saying on that day. You see, at that point in time, if Jesus said, I'm going to tell you a parable about a vine, all his listeners would have thought, okay, here comes another, another story about how we're all a bit useless and God's judgment is coming. But Jesus didn't tell that parable about the vine. Jesus completely redeemed that story. He turned it on its head completely because he had a completely different message to bring. Just to put this in a little bit of context, Jesus is saying what we're about to read to his followers on the night before he died. And that will just help put into context a couple of the, the statements he makes as we go along. But it's just important to kind of know where we are and set the scene. It's the night before Jesus died. He's telling his disciples a lot of things about why he came and what his purpose is and how he wants people to live. And, you know, this is a passage of scripture that we might already know very well indeed. We might have read it lots of times before. 
But I think it's really important to be reminded of it at this time particularly, you know, as we move into the start of a, of a, start of a new year. I think it's a really challenging passage of scripture. It's a big challenge to me. And I just want you to know that this morning, I'm as challenged by this as I would expect anyone else to be. This isn't a message that, um, that I want to bring to you that doesn't apply to me in any way at all. It applies to me big time. Yeah. And actually, if you're not really interested in what I have to say this morning, can you just you know, sit there while I speak to myself? Because uh, there are some things which I think are going to be really important for me in the year ahead as well. Before we read the scripture, can I pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for the things that you said to your followers all those years ago, which remain true for us today. Holy Spirit, I ask now that as we listen to the words of Jesus, you guide us into truth for our life, for our times. Amen. Here's John 15. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be faithful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love one another. So here we have Jesus redeeming all that negative imagery of the vine. And what he's saying is, I am the true vine. You're not the vine in this story. I am the true vine. The whole purpose of a vine is to bear fruit. It's to be fruitful. You see, if this 
twig here was joined up to a vine and there was life in it, what would happen in the summer is we'd get some grapes. And I, I know that in the past, because this is my neighbour's vine, I asked him if I could have it. He thought I was a bit weird, actually, but anyway. <laughs> he gave it to me nonetheless. In his garden, in the summertime, he gets a few you know, dinky little grapes on, on here. But it only has grapes because it's joined up. If I took this home today, and I'm not going to do this, and if I sat this in the window on a nice cushion, gave it a nice view, even put a dish of water next to it, try as it might, it's not going to grow any grapes. It's not going to sit there going, Can I squeeze some grapes out of here? It's not going to happen because it's not joined up. It is a dead and useless vine. The only thing that is good for this is to be thrown away. To be a follower of Jesus is to be fruitful. And we cannot be fruitful if we're severed from the vine, if there's no connectivity, if there is no life. We can't fulfill our purpose if we're not connected to the vine. So what kind of fruit are we talking about? What kind of fruit might a Christian bear? Well, we know, we know some of the fruit of the spirit that's described in the Bible of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And that's all fruit which can be um, born out in our lives. But, you know, I think our fruitfulness can be much greater than that as well. I think our fruitfulness can be anything that sees kingdom advance. Maybe we can be fruitful as witnesses, telling people about Jesus. Maybe we can be fruitful in our neighbourhoods as shepherds, people, people who shepherd those around us, yeah, because we have a message of good news. Maybe we can have the fruitfulness of encouragement. Maybe we can have the fruitfulness of being proclaimers of all that God has done. So there's much fruit that can come out of a Christian who is connected, connected to the vine, who is Jesus. And who else is in this story? We've got, we've got us, who are branches, and we've got Jesus, who is the vine. Who, the gardener, excellent. And what does the Bible say about who the gardener is? Go on. Go on, say again. Jesus. The gardener's not Jesus. Jesus is Father. Father, our Heavenly Father. The gardener is our Heavenly Father. And his job in the garden is to prune the vine. Now, for any gardeners around here, you'll know that there's a time of year when it's the right time to prune your plants, and particularly your fruit trees and things like this, in order that when it grows back the year after, it grows back stronger. I've done some pruning in my time. I know a little bit about this. I don't know as much about it as Sharon does, but um, I know a little bit about pruning. I also know that if you're a man with a, something powerful in your hands or a chainsaw or something, you think, you think mm, while I'm here... We've, we've all done that. 
but pruning will make the plant come back stronger than before. That's the purpose of God in our lives. He wants us, as followers of Jesus, to be as fruitful as possible. And where necessary, he will cut back in order that we can advance even more powerfully. Maybe there are times when we have known God pruning us. Maybe there are times when we have known him shaping our character. Yeah, There's not much gentleness in your life. You need to, in the things you say, you know, it's not funny to talk in that way. Maybe there are times when we've known God reveal particular truth to us. We've seen something in him which is going to shape the next season of kingdom advance. And when God is pruning us, it can feel like quite an awkward time. But let me tell you, he is doing it because there is much fruit to come. Before we think about what it means to remain in Jesus, one of the things I was thinking about this week is the fact that when Paul, the apostle, wrote lots of his letters, he will talk about being a Christian in terms of being in Christ. We've said this before. That's, that's kind of Paul's little buzz phrase for being a Christian. You are in Christ. That's what he says. And my mind went back and I, uh, I looked it up in, in Acts chapter 28 and it talks about when Paul goes to Jerusalem and he goes to Jerusalem to go and meet the church and tell everybody what has happened to him and how he encountered Jesus and the church initially are quite sceptical and it takes Barnabas to take Paul along to the, the apostles and say, I can testify to this guy, he's changed, he's a, he's a new man and it says that Paul then spent time with the disciples, with the apostles and I just Oh, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. Paul had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And yet he goes back and he talks to, talks to John. He talks to Peter. He talks to James. So what, what did Jesus say? What was it exactly he said on the night before he died? What, what happened when he healed that man? And you then get Paul talking this kind, of, this kind of analogy, talking about being in Christ. It's the same idea as remaining in Jesus. Yeah? And I, I kind of think, well, I, I wonder how much of um, what Paul is then teaching in his letters comes out of what he learned from speaking to the disciples of Jesus. Wouldn't it be fascinating to know? We don't know, but uh, it, it just really intrigues me. But here we are. Here are five characteristics of Remainers. Remainers in Jesus. Straight out of John 15. Verse 7, it says this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Remainers are people who have Jesus' words remaining in them. Dwelling in them. They can be brought to mind. How do we get Jesus' words inside us in that way? Well, I think we need to read and listen to the words that Jesus spoke. Yeah. So, reading scripture. Making sure that as men and women who want to remain in Christ, we know jolly well what it is he said to us in the first place. Maybe we have had a promise over our lives from God. 
Maybe someone has brought us in the past a prophetic word that we have not yet seen come to fruition. But let the word dwell in us. Let it live in us. Let it resonate in us. There's lots I could say. I'm not going to say because we need to move on. But, uh, <laughs> but, but when God gives you a word yes. and you hold on to it, sometimes for years, yes. until the day you see it accomplished, yes. it, it, it's an amazing thing. Yes. Remainers are people who obey Jesus' commands. Verse 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Now listen, this is not saying, if you obey my commandments, you'll earn my love. It's not saying that. Jesus has already drawn us into a loving relationship. Jesus first loved us. Jesus demonstrated the extent of his love to us because he gave of his life for us. And on the day that we say, Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my King, we declare our love back to him. But just as it is when you are have in a loving relationship with somebody, you want to do things that please them, don't you? Yeah? So, children, if you are um, wanting to get into your mum and dad's good books, <laughs> you will know the kinds of things that you can do that will please them, don't you? And you also know the kinds of things you can do that won't please them. <laughs> yeah. So maybe if you were to come home and find um, one of your children hoovering the house because it was dirty, <laughs> you would think, oh, they're trying to do something that pleases. Yeah? Because we're in a loving relationship. And that's as it is with Jesus. If we know what honours Jesus, if we know what pleases Jesus, we will want to do it. We're obeying his commands. We're not earning his love. We're demonstrating the reciprocal nature of the love that we have in Christ. So practically then, we can choose to fill our lives with things that stir our affection for Jesus. And we can also choose not to fill our lives with things which inhibit and dull down our affection for Jesus. As we do this, our obedience will grow because we're trying to please him. This is a time for us to examine what stirs our affection, what builds up our love for Jesus. And what are the things that rob us of our affection for Jesus? What is it in our routine that stirs our affection? What is it in our routine that robs us of our affection for Jesus? Is it the friends we're keeping? Is it the music we're listening to? They could be good or bad. Is it the things we're reading? Is it the amount of time we're devoting to Instagram? <laughs> Which might not be the most helpful um, thing we can be spending lots of our time doing. Here's a third thing, verse 11. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Remainers are people who know joy. I'd like to encourage myself and I'd like to encourage all of us in the room to trust Jesus 
for real joy. You know, don't you, that joy and happiness are not the same thing. Joy and happiness are completely different. Sometimes I think that we struggle to give our whole selves to Jesus because we think, there's part of my life there I don't really want to devote to Jesus because it makes me happy. It's quite good fun. But, you know, happiness is completely fleeting. You know, you can be driving to work really happy because something's gone well and someone cuts you up at the traffic lights and, and all of a sudden you're not happy anymore. <laughs> That's happiness. It comes and it goes. It's completely dependent upon our circumstances. Joy is much different to that. Joy is a spiritual response to reveal truth, something we know deep down. It's not the same as happiness. We can be joyful people even when our circumstances on that day are not causing us a great amount of happiness. We can still know that we have the spiritual truth of having Jesus in our lives as our saviour will have a transforming effect compared to the things that have gone wrong on any particular day. Do we really believe that Jesus is the joy giver? Are we really prepared to trust him with the areas in our lives where we might in the short term need to give a bit of happiness to get in return everlasting joy? I believe that's a challenge for me and I've put it out there because I believe it will be a challenge for many of us. Is this a year coming up to give Jesus the whole man? To give Jesus the whole woman, the whole boy, the whole girl? All of us, we're devoted to you, every part of our lives. Here's another characteristic of Remainers. Verse 12, they love each other. Jesus says, love each other in the same way I have loved you. As much as Jesus wants to fill us with himself, as much as Jesus committed himself to us, as much as Jesus wants us to know overflowing joy, we are commanded that much to love one another, just as he loved us. We know that this pleases him. It's a command, direct commandment from Jesus. Let's be prepared this coming year to be creative in demonstrating our love for one another. There's a verse isn't there, in Romans. It says, don't, don't just say you love one another. Really love one another. That's the kind of love which we can exhibit in this body. In our new life groups, let's from day one think of ways to demonstrate our love and our commitment to one another. In, uh, elsewhere in the book of John, John 13, Jesus says, if you love one another in this way, people will know that you are my followers. The identifier, the mark on your lives will be the way you guys love one another. It's amazing. Yeah. Let's be people who are remainers committed to loving one another. Here's the last characteristic on my list of a remainer. They are Jesus' friends. Mm. 
you know, we can enjoy friendship with God. Sometimes we can have a view of God that he's so far removed from us, which we understand where that thought comes from, and so different to us that he doesn't really want to be our friend at all. And yet here we are in John 15. Jesus says, you are my friends. And he actually said, I'm going to lay down my life for my friends, is what he's alluding to in that, in that passage. Is it really possible to walk in friendship with God? I believe it is. You know, when we talk about what happens when we are saved, when we trust that Jesus has forgiven our sins and we ask him to be the Lord of our lives, what we say sometimes is our relationship with God has been restored. And we know one of the things that means is that when Jesus returns, we're going to be in the presence of God forever. But, you know, that restored relationship starts now. It's not, it's not in 20 or 50 or 70 years' time when you die. Your relationship with God that has been restored starts on the day you say, Jesus, you're the king of my life. You're my Lord. I'm going to follow you and live a life that pleases you. If we are trusting Jesus today, we already have a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can walk in deep friendship with God. Just think of that. And pursuing friendship with God, I believe, is the starting place if we want to see evidence of God in our lives. What do I mean by that? Well, I think pursuing friendship with God uh, first is the thing that needs to happen if we're pursuing breakthrough in things of the Spirit. We're not going to see God working in miracles through our lives if we are not in relationship with him. We're not going to experience the supernatural if we're not walking in relationship with God. And what we don't want to do is, is get caught up on the outward experiences of being in a church like this at the expense of pursuing a relationship with God. If we are today wanting to see um, breakthrough in the miraculous, breakthrough in the prophetic, being able to hear God's word to his people and being able to proclaim it. If we want to see breakthrough in God giving us words of knowledge which are going to unlock situations if we want breakthrough in the gift of tongues, if we want breakthrough in effectiveness, in evangelism, the place that is going to come from is relationship with God. It's not a man-made thing. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul wrote, I want to know Christ. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. But I want to know Christ. In 2020, I want to know Jesus. I don't want to know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to know what he says to me every day. 
I don't want to be in the hustle and bustle of my life and not have time to listen to him. Not have time to read what he says. I want to know him. So what can we do? How can we choose to remain? Just a couple of little things as we finish. A couple of big things as we finish. <laughs> How can we choose to remain? Here's the first one. We, we listen and we put into practice what Jesus says. Jesus told a story once. And he said there were two guys and they each built a house. And one of the guys built his house pretty much on the beach. And it was a great view. But this house was just built on sand. And as soon as a storm happened, well, the house just fell right over because it wasn't built on anything solid. And he told a story about another guy, same story, about a man who built his house on a really strong foundation, built on some rock. And the wind blew, but the house stood nice and firm. And Jesus said, people who hear his words, number one, and put them into practice, Number two, I like that wise man who built his house on a firm foundation. Yeah, good. Hearing the words of Jesus is, is only half of it. Yeah. Putting them into practice is the vital second part. So we can choose to remain by listening and putting into practice his words. We can choose to remain by stewarding what we already have. Has God set a gift in you? Has God set something in your heart that, you, that makes your heart leap every time you think about it? You know, maybe it is a burden for those who are lost. Steward it. Maybe it is an um, ability to work well in teaching children. Work at it. Steward it. Build it up. God has put it in you. Let the shoots of fruitfulness flourish. Back to my vine. Year one, you might have got quite a small bunch of grapes. But let yourself be pruned. Let your fruitfulness flourish and soon you will have much fruit. Here's another way we can choose to remain. Don't limit our potential fruitfulness. Don't count ourselves out. What do I mean by that? Let's not say that we are people who don't do that. I'm a Christian but I don't evangelise. Um, I never pray in a prayer meeting. You know, I never read scripture out loud in, in a gathering. <laughs> um, lots of people who you will see across Living Rock Church, leading worship, teaching, all sorts of things, will have had a first time when someone said, do you think you could? And they went, it frightens the life out of me, but yes, I'll do that. And you start to be fruitful in it. And it's God who gives the increase. Let's not count ourselves out. 
We can't be part of a body where people are saying to us, you're never going to see me be fruitful in this area. We need to be fruitful together. And here's the last thing I've written down here. And this is a phrase that David has used a lot, David Lyon, um, when he's talking about whether following Jesus is our hobby or our passion. Is that our hobby or the thing that just burns within us that we want to see accomplished and fulfilled and see the church grow and flourish knowing it's the church of Jesus? If we say that Jesus and the extension of his kingdom is our passion and if our circumstances inhibit our ability to remain connected to Jesus, things like our career or uh, family uh, circumstances or activities, or maybe because we're just really bad at managing our time. We need to change our circumstances, not dumb down our passion. If we are passionate together about seeing the kingdom of God come in Market Harbour, we need to shape our lives around that passion because I can tell you there is no greater calling on any of us as his followers. God will honour you if you make what looks like a risky choice to remain connected to him. My own experience, time and time again, is that when I've taken a chance, when I've done something that wasn't humanly logical, because I wanted to pursue my passion of life in Christ. I have known him honour that time and time again. So here's the end. And it's a twist. We're like a twist in the tale, don't we? It just keeps things a bit exciting. Here's the twist in the tale. Christ first chose us to remain and be fruitful. So whilst there are things we can choose to do, to help us to remain connected to Jesus, one of the primary things we should keep in mind is actually, it's not us who makes that choice first. It's Jesus who first made that choice. Christ has chosen us. And I think that revelation that Jesus has chosen us should be enough to make us stop scratching our heads. And going, really? I'm not sure I should really be doing that and be going, becoming fruitful in that area. No, no, Christ has chosen you. To be fruitful. That's our purpose. Stop scratching our heads and get on with it. (laughs) Christ appointed us to be fruitful. We can't fail to be fruitful if we remain in him. It's not, I'm going to remain in Jesus and try to be fruitful. Jesus says, I've chosen you. Remain in me. You're going to be fruitful. End of story. The fruitfulness that Jesus has in mind for us is eternal. It's not short term. Where do we want to see eternal fruitfulness? I bet if you're a parent, you want to see eternal fruitfulness in our families, don't we? In our children. Our children's children. 
What about our community? Eternal fruitfulness. In our town, in our nation, in our world, you know, the kingdom of God ever advancing. Why not in Market Harbour? So here's a question for us to think about for 2020. What does 2020 look like in Market Harbour when as a body of believers, that's us, passionately and actively remaining in Jesus in every part of our lives? Pursuing friendship with our Father, loving one another, and loving the town around us. I, I would dare us to start to dream that dream. Yeah. Even in these last few days of 2019. What's it look like next year? If at the start of the year we're saying to ourselves, forget all the New Year's revolutions. My objective this year, I'm going to remain in Jesus. I'm going to give my whole self. think it would be good to pray. I'm going to have an opportunity to respond in worship. I don't want this to be a solemn word today. I want you to see this as an encouragement. Jesus is given, giving us a formula here that works. Remain in him. We're going to see much fruit. Let's not be cowed by that. Let's embrace everything that he has for us. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand If, as I pray, you can agree with what I'm saying personally, bring your own amen as we pray. It will be a really helpful and bold statement to make. Yep. Jesus, we want to say to you that we love you. We thank you that you have chosen us. We thank you that when you gave your life, you gave your life for us to bring us restoration in our relationship with our Father and restoration that starts right now. We thank you for that. Jesus, we want to say to you that we are passionate about seeing your kingdom coming in this town. We are passionate about seeing your goodness in our lives. Jesus, we want to say Take our whole selves. Take all of us. Pour your spirit in. Reassure us where we think we're giving up happiness. And pour in your joy. That's not fleeting but everlasting. Father, would you increase our burden together for the town round about us? Would you help us as your people to carry weight in this body in order that we're really effective for you? Jesus, we want to say, we want to know you more. We don't want to just know about you. We want to hear you speak to us individually and collectively. 
We want to be a group of people who hear your voice, hear your words, and put them into action. Thank you, Jesus, for all your promises to us. Thank you that because you've chosen us, and if we remain in you, you've promised fruitfulness. We want to declare that we um, set our face to walking in your fruitfulness in the year ahead. And we pray this in your mighty name and to your honour and glory. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.